You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who thinks self-driving cars should have a road rage mode if they really want me to feel at home. But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power, change, and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair are Aisha Evans and Jesse Levinson, the CEO and CTO of the autonomous car company Zooks. We're recording this at Zooks' headquarter in Foster City, California, because I just got to ride in one of their test vehicles, the L3. We'll talk about what that was like and when consumers can have a chance to ride in their own Zooks car. Aisha and Jesse, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you. thank you. Well, thank you for the ride. I just want to get give people a sense. Today we were in San Francisco. Jesse and I rode around San Francisco in a regular car that was outfitted with sensors and the technology you're using um, at Zooks, which is, I've been in a lot of them. And not to say that a lot of people haven't. I've been in all of them pretty much. Um, and we rode around some very difficult roads in San Francisco, including the world's most crooked street, I guess, Lombard, and rode down that. And did, it did a great job. Um, there's a lot of, uh, in the many years I've ridden in, in self-driving cars, there's been lots of changes, but they've gotten better and better, including sensors, AI, machine learning, everything else that's gone into cars. And then we came down here to um, see what is actually a ground-up car um, that they're making, not ground up into little pieces, but it's uh, hopefully not. It's a car they're making from scratch, which will not have a steering wheel, not have pedals. Uh, there'll be vehicles. So I just rode in one. I was very impressed. Um, I was, as I was telling them, I was in the original uh, Google clown car, which is what I used to call it because it looked like a clown car, um, which was the first version of that. Um, and now we're going to talk about where we are with uh, autonomous cars and what's going on at Zooks, which is probably not as well known as some of the other efforts out there, but hopefully we will know about them soon. All right, Jesse, let's talk a little bit about why you decided to found Zooks. You were an autonomous expert or you were working on this at Stanford? Um, well, I was certainly working on it at Stanford. I don't know if I'd say I was an expert, but I had spent many years working on the technology at Stanford. Why? When I looked at what uh, artificial intelligence could do to help society mm -hmm. in transformational ways, I thought that autonomous driving was really pretty close to the top of that list. Driving is such a huge part of our society, time-wise, economically, environmentally, and, and safety-wise. And autonomous technology showed the opportunity to really make significant progress in all of those different axes. Mm -hmm. And that was really compelling to me. And you, this was an area of specialty at Stanford. That's right. I did my PhD in a postdoc really focused on algorithms for autonomous driving. Mm -hmm. And what, where would you first got interested in it? What was the... 
Um, when I was a kid, I played with computers a lot. My mom was yeah, a computer I, I scientist. Yeah. So she uh, she was teaching me how to program when I was five and six years old. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is really cool. And I was kind of obsessed with getting computers to do things that people were good at that computers didn't know how to do. And, you know, you, even as a kid, you're in cars all the time. And so I've ever since I was a kid, I was thinking, hey, you know, why, why couldn't computers do this if people mm-hmm. can do it? Right. And so this has been a booming area in, in California, um, especially in California, where there's companies all over the world working on it. But it started here with Google and some other companies, uh, Elon Musk, obviously, and others working on autonomous vehicles, the idea of it. But it's a relatively new idea, the concept of it. Now, Aisha, you were not there. You started, you were at Intel, right? Let's yes, talk I a little was. bit about your history. Uh, I was at Intel, having a great time, had a great career, uh, enjoying myself. And uh, you worked so, on strategy. You worked. Uh, on- I worked on wireless, on corporate strategy, and uh, Intel touches many different aspects of compute. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, um, just waiting for nothing really to happen, just having fun. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I did. I had decided that I wasn't going to go work for another big company. That was pretty clear. Mm-hmm. And then I received a call uh, about Zooks. Uh, first time I was like. Mm. And then uh, met uh, Jesse, some board members, and really learned about Zooks from the inside. And this whole concept that uh, of mobility as a service, fully autonomous fleet from the ground up, with really the notion that what do you offer for AI to drive and to make it easiest and safest? And that's very different from uh, what happens when a human being is driving. So, He's driving a car. Exactly. So right. fell in love with the whole concept. And, and uh, so Zooks. had you had autonomous car background? No, you were dealing with? I was dealing with uh, wireless, which has a lot of digital signal processing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Intel also had acquired uh, Mobileye. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so obviously as... Explain what that is for people who don't... Uh, Mobileye is a, a start, well, now a company in Israel, an Intel company that uh, works in the autonomous driving space. And they have been doing that for a long time. And so obviously uh, as working as part of the corporate strategy at Intel, uh, paid attention to this space. I think... Uh, from from the get-go, looking also at the stage uh, where Zooks was at, uh, taking it to scale, getting to market, and sort of bringing the, the processes and all of the different thinking when you're dealing with a thousand people and scaling even beyond that, mm-hmm. that was very attractive. Too. And it's also, uh, when you're saying ground up, you're, it's really from scratch with a lot of these companies. And we'll go through all the competitors in a second, but, but you have a computing background, mm-hmm. correct? A technical background, but mm-hmm. not in autonomous cars. Not in autonomous cars. Right, no. but it's still a challenge like anything else that you're making. Yeah, and I have Jesse, so yeah, it's a yeah. partnership, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's, uh, I, I bring a certain set of experiences, he brings another, and then we work to that. But you'll be you'll be surprised. I mean, some of the challenges, once you have the, the concept and the prototype and the idea, getting to market is pretty much the same principles I'm finding right. uh, in terms of software engineering, in terms of integration, uh, in terms of uh, schedule, execution, go-to-market strategy, and so on. All right. Now, there's a lot of competitors here in this space. So talk a little bit about why you decided to found a separate company. You guys, you had other founder, you had another founder. We'll talk about him in a second. So he he was the CEO, now you are, um, and he's gone from the company. Talk about why you wanted to start another company because Google's been working on it. All the big car companies have been working on it. Um, you know, there's so many, you know, Tesla's in there, Uber's been in there. Um, there's there's Chinese companies. There's, uh, you know, work being done by Toyota and, and obviously our big car companies, GM mm-hmm. and Ford. Yeah, so we started the company in 2014 and the insight there 
was that retrofitting autonomy onto existing cars was probably not the best way to solve Which the had problem. been done. That's what Google had done initially. Google was working on that, and a lot of the car companies had been t- working on it or at least talking about it. And the insight that we started Zooks with was that if you had a new type of vehicle where you weren't stuck with the constraints of passenger cars, which are designed for people to own and only use 4% of the time, you could build a much nicer product that was optimized for point-to-point autonomous mobility in cities. It could be safer. It could be a much better experience. It could actually optimize the sensor architecture for AI to drive, and it could actually be more economical and certainly better for the environment if you don't have to sell everybody their own car. Their own and, car. And it's so you're time, talking about a fleet of cars, it, someone exactly. operating and owning a reservation system, a fleet of cars mm-hmm. that are delivered to people. That's right. And in 2014, we didn't know of anybody working on anything like that. And my co-founder, Tim, was really excited about that model. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, after I talked to him for an hour, I was like, this is a really, really smart way to solve an important problem for society. And we decided to give it a shot. In that cars are not well used. People don't use them that much. You were mm-hmm. using a 4%. Uh, that's, that's the average, right? So the average car is used about an hour a day. So an hour out of 24 hours is about 4%. Mm-hmm. And then there's only usually one person in it. So 80% of the car is not being used. Exactly. More it's even it's worse than car. that. That's right. Right, that people mm-hmm. aren't using them. Now, Aisha, when people with all these competitors, when you were coming into this market, I think everybody thought of new versions of cars. I think they were just dealing with what existed, the, the cars that existed and trying to get it going. I think that's that's why I think Elon started Tesla with an electric car, but he really was aiming at autonomous. You know, I think Google had always done retrofitting, but they thought they, they built different cars that are totally different vehicles. Yeah, they have. Um Look, it's, it's not just about building the car. It's about all of the thinking that goes into re-architecting and redesigning the car with a single purpose. AI drives and human enjoy. And when you free yourself of those constraints, it makes a huge difference. You actually integrate faster, you go faster, you focus on the right things. You, we also think you make it safer. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about the entire integrated concept as opposed to just building a new car. Last but not least, you were talking about retrofitted cars in a second uh, a second ago. When you start looking at a passenger car from the concept of, or from the standpoint of a human driving it, a lot of things make sense in mm-hmm. that car. Right. The steering wheel, the right. windshield, how it's... Um, uh, modularize and so on. Those constraints are not necessarily uh, applicable or helpful uh, for AI to drive. In some cases, actually, they are not a good thing. If people manufacture and build cars thinking that they will only be driven 4% of the time, yet you're selling rides, which is the right thing to do, and it's being amortized and it's being used all the time, well, then you don't really have the baseline that's necessary mm-hmm. for a vehicle that's going to be driving all the time and all day long. Right, which is the, these are. These will be exactly. driving. They'll be picking someone up, dropping someone exactly. off. So you're not just a car-making company because you've got to do everything from soup to nuts, correct? Depends how you define everything. Right. I think there's a misconception sometimes that we're like, you know, getting in there and like hammering out some tires and then, you know, building <laughs> no, a motor. You're buying no, exactly. Right. So we have a wonderful global supply chain and almost all the components in the vehicle come from other companies. Mm-hmm. What we've done is designed and engineered a totally new architecture. It's a different way of putting together parts, most of which are really off the shelf and some of which have some minor modifications for our uh, requirements. And then we put them together in a, in a beautiful new vehicle that's designed for a use case that nobody's really ever done before. 
So explain that. I, I was just in it. It's a it's a pod. It's a pod. It's a car mm-hmm. that is is a lot like I'm trying to think what it's, you would like to compare things to things. It's like a ride. It's like a bus or a train or something like that. Yeah, it's it's kind of a it's a small one of those though, right? Yeah. So it's a compact, bi-directional, symmetrical, fully autonomous, fully electric vehicle that's designed for moving people around cities. There's mm-hmm. two seats facing two seats. It's really comfortable. It's really nice. It's a fairly high-end yes. experience. Uh, and again, because you get to spread the cost of the vehicle out over people paying for it all day long, the marginal cost of all those components, whether it's the vehicle or the sensors or the computers, the marginal cost per ride is very, very low. So we can afford to make a safe, high-end, beautiful vehicle that's actually going to be more affordable than what people use today because of the utilization rate. Right. And so when you're thinking about that, you they were talking about a carriage. A lot of your designers are very excited to do, but it's a carriage. It looks like a carriage mm-hmm. um, without horses, and it goes both ways, as you said. It was bidirectional, um, and it's a pretty open space where you could just read, or, you know, just again that you're a passive uh, rider in it versus an active in any way, and it has all kinds of doodads like air and things like that. How difficult is it to get people thinking this way? Because most of the cars, again, have been retrofitted. The idea that there's a driver, there is no driver here whatsoever. That's correct. Uh, well, we actually uh, have been surprised. Oh, just about everybody who stepped into that vehicle mm-hmm. got used to the concept within a couple of seconds because right. we're transporting you. Mm-hmm. This is very important. We are not building uh, autonomous driving. Mm-hmm. We are building a transportation. Well, you are building autonomous well, driving. It's a technology that serves a purpose. Right. But from a customer or a passenger standpoint, you step in and you're being transported. It's very smooth and you're not really thinking about driving. The mm-hmm. driving is happening through the sensor architecture, um, the compute, uh, AI, but that, that's not what you experience. What you experience is that you're being moved around. And mm-hmm. a little bit of a, when you think about also um, the London cabs, uh, mm-hmm. we talk about carriage. It does look I, like that, yeah. Exactly. And those were really conceived for moving around London, right? Uh-huh. So that's really what we think Well, it about. looks like that with the driver chopped off, essentially, the front part, the engine part. That's exactly off. right. Um, and this is fully electric. These are mm-hmm. two yes. batteries front and back, mm-hmm. and there is no need for gas or anything nope. else. Nope. Pure electric. And they charge in about two hours, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. That's correct. So when you're doing this, as I said, a lot of the companies have started, you know, if you think about it, a lot of things are entry points to other things. I think of uh, CD-ROMs. I don't know if you're, you don't remember them. I don't know how old you I'm are. Not, what? I definitely remember okay, CD-ROMs. Right. CD, okay, yeah. You were 650 okay. megabytes. Right, exactly. They were, <laughs> uh, I thought they were a a way to get to streaming. I, you know what I mean? Everything's a way, like people, you suddenly had a, a very rich entertainment environment. But then eventually it couldn't be in these pieces of whatever the hell they were made, plastic or whatever they're made out of. I think you've gotten a lot of people used to taking rides from Uber, like a, a mass amount of people and, mm-hmm. and being transported, mm-hmm. um, which is, I think, a good way to put it and not thinking about it and doing it in an app-based system, a reservation app-based system. Um, and yet it, people have, you know, the focus has been on Elon Musk and Tesla. So talk a little bit about that, that idea of like having a car that's electric. He's calling it autonomous. It's not that yet, but it certainly is autopilot. It has a very robust autopilot. Go ahead. Yeah, well, there's there's sort of two different business models, right? One is you <laughs> buy a car and hopefully it is sort of more and more autonomous features come into cars over time. And the other is you, you use Uber and Lyft. Mm-hmm. And the way we look at it is neither of those solutions is quite optimal, for at least for getting around cities. Mm-hmm. The, one of the troubles with Uber and Lyft is you're really getting into the backseat of a stranger's car. Mm-hmm. And some of those experiences are really good and some of them are really not so good. And no matter what, you're having to pay somebody else to drive you around, which is, if you think about it, quite extravagant. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're literally paying somebody else yeah. to chauffeur you around. Mm-hmm. And so economically, that doesn't work 
very well for most people most of the time. And then buying your own car also doesn't make a lot of economic sense because you spend tens of thousands of dollars, many tens of thousands of dollars on a depreciating asset that you only use 4% of the time. And so what we want to do is combine the best of all of that and say, hey, we can build an electric autonomous vehicle that has the utilization of Uber and Lyft, the ease of use of Uber and Lyft. People already know how to use Uber and Lyft. They love using the app, comes and picks them up, they go wherever they want. But we can you increase get out. You don't yeah, pay. but we can increase the quality of the service, increase the safety, and we can lower the cost because we remove 80% or so of the fare, which is going to the driver. Mm-hmm. And then we replace it with a robo-taxi. So we have some expenses too, but it's much, much less than paying an entire person all the time. Mm-hmm. When you're thinking about this, Aisha, getting people to use them, I, I think you're right. When you get in, you you feel very comfortable initially. Talk a little bit about the challenges of, of getting these out. You know, you've built a beautiful car, it's clear. Um, the challenges of getting them out in the wild and it being used. You know, this you were talking about this is just like an execution problem like anything else, but it's a much more quantumly difficult thing mm. to do. Yes. And would. you have competitors that are insanely uh, backed. You know, you have Google. Mm-hmm. You're competing against Google or GM mm-hmm. or Ford or things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, in terms of getting to market, it's about uh, sort of completing that step of fully removing the driver and mm-hmm. then getting onto public roads. Right. Uh, you won't hear at Zooks anybody talk about a hockey stick. Mm-hmm. It's going to start with geofence areas where uh, one will be able to sort of demonstrate the the, the experience and start building a, a business around that and mm-hmm. then scale from there, geofence by geofence, city by city. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're testing in uh, in Las Vegas and San Francisco. We've mm-hmm. been very public about that. So I think there's, that it's a fair assumption that um, uh, we would be ending up there and starting there mm-hmm. and building a service there. Uh, in terms of the competition, yeah, well, Yes, there's a lot of competition. Um, it's also a big market. Mm-hmm. Um, we are very, very happy. Because you also it's, have to kill off an existing market, which is car driving. Well, I don't know that we don't. Card. No, no, no. I, I don't think that we'll kill off an, an existing market. I think that I what you you'll would, see. Go ahead. <laughs> you know that's my thing. <laughs> well, that was a different question. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I think you're already seeing it in cities. A right. lot of people don't buy cars. It's it's mm-hmm. not economical. It's um, it's uh, expensive, as Jesse was talking about earlier. People are already using really mobility as a mm-hmm. service. We're just uh, um, offering a step up from that. It's also good for the cities. I mean, mm-hmm. look at all these. Uh, how many? How much of the real estate is wasted? on parking, for example. Mm -hmm. Everybody's complaining about everybody also driving around looking for parking. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be very efficient. And so back to competition. Look, first we're happy. Uh, It seems like many more people are coming uh, uh, to the same realization and sort of validating uh, this approach. That's one. Second... Meaning they're building their own, they're thinking about building their own cars. Well, thinking or one, I think, unveiled one Mm -hmm. a few weeks ago or a couple months ago. Uh, Then it's a big market. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to execute and we're going to have to get this done. And uh, that's all it's going to well, take. How, I know that, but how do you differentiate yourself in that regard? Well, first of you all, you raised how much? You raised nine hundred million. Is that right? Uh, yeah, we yeah. have. So this, yeah. yes, we have. That's a lot and of money, but it's not. It's, 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 this is an expensive You know, it's property. funny. I think about it different ways. Okay. It's a lot of money, but it's not. That's true because more is needed to get to market. Right. And that's not uh, specific to us. That's for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I walk around these hallways and I look at what we've accomplished with that money mm-hmm. uh, in it's, and with the software and AI and uh, essentially the, the fleet, meaning testing our L3s, but also with the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so when I put up that uh, that efficiency and that effectiveness so far, I'm, I'm really proud of the team and we need to continue uh, doing that. And yes, it's no secret that uh, we, uh, we're, in, we're fundraising mm-hmm. uh, like everybody else and we're in the middle of that. Uh, we're in advanced discussions with... Um, 
uh, some uh, potential uh, investors, strategic mm-hmm. investors, and uh, also corporate right. investors. Yeah, well, a lot of companies have gotten together, like crews with bigger car companies. Mm-hmm. There's those people. There's people who have. Uh, there's Google, which just has mince money, so it has its own, and it has its own relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the relationships between car companies and the big companies was problematic. I know Google and Ford and GM had back and forth, back and forth. Do you need to do that to be successful? Have be owned by someone or have mm-hmm. have one of those like do you have to like be friends with Mercedes Benz or or <laughs> something like that okay so what I know we need is capital like everybody right. else I think it's important to have strategic partners and we're in the middle of those conversations short term the focus on solving for autonomy uh, I always say that zero multiplied by anything is still zero uh-huh. so now when we start talking about scale and multiple cities going uh, global, obviously it will be very, very good to have partners Mm -hmm. and you don't wait until you need that to start dating, shall Mm -hmm. we say, to use your analogy. Um, So that's something we're working on. But first focus execute and get this to market. To have a, a system in place. Exactly. All right. So one of the things we were talking about was getting that. So you now have a facility here in Foster City, California, mm-hmm. where you have engineers that do software and hardware, mm-hmm. correct? Um, you're building in where? In in Also in the Bay Area. Fremont correct? is our Fremont. manufacturing facility. Although you mm-hmm. get parts from all over the world, all whether the world. it's China, China or Sunday. France or Germany mm-hmm. or wherever you get mm-hmm. it. Um, but you're going to manufacture these, it, it, you were talking about sort of a Lego-like mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. like system is that you pull things apart and add them in. Yeah, mm-hmm. we like to call it final assembly, very mm-hmm. similar to the to the video you saw uh, yeah. earlier on how it happens. So you have stations and uh, all of these parts come in. Uh, it's a relatively low number of parts that come in and get um, assembled together and then uh, tested and then deployed. Here in this country, in, in in, yeah. in East in Bay. Fremont. In Fremont. In Fremont. Yes. And then you also have, you just got a facility at Altamont to test, correct? What are you doing there? Yeah, so we just this signed the that, Altamont we just signed that lease last week, so yeah. you get to break that news exclusively. Okay, I shall. But, Here I am doing it. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's a pretty famous or infamous racetrack. Yes. Um, and so we, we have a lease on that now, and it's really great for structured testing. So we can test the vehicle at low and high speeds repeatedly. We can do scenarios, so we can test it with other agents. Uh, and because it's our facility, we can control it, and so we can make sure that it's consistent and repeatable. And because it's a private facility, you know, we're not bound to public road testing requirements. And But you're also testing in cities. Absolutely, yeah. In cities yeah. and doing everything. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk about that and the challenges faced uh, all across the country and figuring this out and across the world. Uh, we're here with Aisha Evans. She's the CEO of Zooks. And Jesse Levinson, the CTO and co-founder. It's an autonomous car company. How do you, what do you call yourselves? Autonomous car company. Yeah, that works. That works. Okay, good. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk about uh, all that and more. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We're here with Jesse Levinson, the CTO and co-founder of Zooks, and Aisha Evans, the CEO. Talk about the idea of deployment in cities, How not deployment, being able to test them out. How difficult, Aisha, is it to, to get cities to do this? A lot of people complain that the U.S. has been slow in terms of regulatory framework or anything else. And mm-hmm. Jesse was telling me when we were driving around that you can deploy a lot of stuff right now under current laws. Yeah. But talk about the challenges you face from municipalities and the government and everything else. We actually have found them to be very cooperative. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are all very interested in the technology. We often uh, host uh, folks from at the federal, municipal, uh, as well as at the the state level. Uh, Several states have... um, Essentially, uh, uh, you can get a driverless permit, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the, the, and more and more states are coming online. Those are now, you have them where? You have them? Uh, so uh, Washington, um, uh, Nevada, uh, there are about eight of them. Do you know them all? Uh, no, Jesse? but you have them right now. In a oh, we, we, yeah, we have ours uh, mm-hmm. already uh, for um, uh, a couple of states. And uh, in uh, in California, we're, we're working on uh, securing that as we speak. Uh-huh. So that's already available. And that allows you to ha- deploy driverless cars in testing. It, no, in, in deployment. Mm-hmm. In yeah, deployment. in deployment, not right. in testing, in right. deployment. Yeah. Right. So that right. that's actually already available. Mm-hmm. So again, it's a matter of executing and really uh, achieving safety targets, mm-hmm. uh, feeling comfortable around that. Uh, because once you deploy, you have to uh, make sure that you're safe. And that really depends upon us. So uh, I know there's a lot of discussion in uh, oh, talking about the regulatory frameworks, but we feel that actually... One can deploy today can deploy. if one has the technology and one considers it ready and safe. Obviously, you have also an operational infrastructure to put in place. To, to create it. Now, talk about safety. We talked about that in the car drive down as we were being Ubered down or lifted mm-hmm. down. Um, it, talk about the safety issue because one of the things is, you know, there's constant, and I know Elon's complained to many people, including me, about stories the press does about one crash whenever, when there's, you know, so many deaths by hum, human error mm. across uh, across the driving landscape. I think he's right about that in a lot of ways. And yet these cars have to work better than people. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So almost 40,000 Americans get killed in car crashes every year. Mm-hmm. It's about 1.3 million people globally, which is a staggering number. I mean, just to put that in perspective... The whole world has been freaking out about coronavirus for a couple of months, and understandably so. Mm-hmm. And and this is yeah, we're know, in high freak out today. Yeah, and, well, it, and it's okay. late February now. The total number of deaths from coronavirus is still less than the number of people who die literally every single day in car crashes. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a it's kind of a staggering yeah, way to think people about do it. That it's like people are worried about airplane crashes when you're probably not going to die. Right, in crash, and so but the, it the, terrifies you. So the status quo is is pretty terrible when it comes to the safety of automobiles. And so the way we look at it is we have an opportunity to really improve on that, but we also have a responsibility to improve on that. If we can't quantitatively demonstrate that our technology is significantly safer than human drivers, then we shouldn't have our vehicles on the road. So we have pretty stringent internal safety targets on how safe the system needs to work. And we do a lot of simulation and real world testing with the L3 with safety drivers to make sure that we can prove that safety case out. And of course, we will not launch driverless vehicles on public roads until we have finished that work. 
And what, what does that mean? What does a safe autonomous vehicle mean? Yeah. So what, in our view, what a safe autonomous vehicle means is a vehicle that per mile is significantly safer than humans at specifically not causing collisions, injuries, and fatality. Those are the three categories that we really focus mm -hmm. on. Uh, I think it's really important to focus on all three of those categories. You can't just look at any one of them in isolation. We think mm -hmm. we have to be better on all three. And we also look at when when there is a collision, uh, whether it's, you know, in, I mean, at, at this point in simulation, but when we think about deploying, it's very important that we are particularly better at not causing collisions, injuries, and fatalities. There's always going to be some amount of other road users doing reckless things. And you right. can't... Human you can't, beings exactly. driving around and your And so cars. You, can't, you can't say the system has to truly never get into a crash. For example, you could be stopped at a red light and somebody could just come and hit you from the side. It's mm -hmm. literally physically nothing you can do about that. So it's not that we're going to say, hey, there's never going to be a collision, but we're going to say we have to be much better than humans and we're going to be especially strict at crashes that would have been our fault. Mm -hmm. Because I think that the public will have a very low tolerance for, for robot vehicles that are proactively causing crashes. Mm -hmm. And so our rate on those has to be, in our view, about an Near order zero. of magnitude lower than it Near is zero. for humans. Yeah. It can't be your fault. And That's people right. will assume it. And then have the people have an attitude towards these things. Right. Even Which is tolerated. Right. In other but it's ways. understandable. Like nobody wants to replace human errors with a bunch of robot robot errors on a similar order of magnitude. Mm -hmm. All right. Talk a little bit about, Aisha, about uh, sort of when you have a landscape of, of people doing autonomous cars, I think you're all lumped together. And so, um, you know, the person who dominates this obviously is Elon and and he, they interchangeably use it. Talk about the differences in the companies. There's, there, there is, you know, Elon's using a lot less and then Jesse, if you could come in too about that. Elon's using a lot less uh, sensors. He's relying a lot on AI and stuff like that. Talk about your theories of what you're doing here. Because you had a lot of sensors on these cars. Um, uh, I think it was, what did you say, 270 degree each each sensor at each corner. Mm -hmm. um, why is why is that the direction you're going? Because other people have different theories, especially Elon. Uh, I think we're in different uh, businesses. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Tesla is in the business of uh, selling cars to people. And those cars... I'm told, may have some future capabilities. Mm -hmm. uh, we are not in the business of selling cars to people. We're in the business of selling transportation to people mm -hmm. and making sure that uh, uh, it's really a fleet of robotaxis that are moving people inside of cities. And so it's just really a different business model altogether. The second thing is uh, in a robotaxi, there is no human being that is driving. All of the, the driving is, and all of the decisions also that are associated around driving uh, are basically made by AI and a computer. There isn't a safety driver. Mm -hmm. There is You don't have steering wheel and pedals and so mm -hmm. on. So I would say different business model and also really a different use case. And who would be your competitor than Uber then, I suppose? You know, because... They're, they have been trying to move into that area. They've had to, some pullbacks because of all kinds of issues they have because they're in another business altogether. Which yeah, I would say that from a business model standpoint, they are definitely um, uh, in the transportation business too. So mm -hmm. no question about it. So right now what is deployed is, uh, you know, as Jesse said earlier, a human being that is chauffeuring you around. Mm -hmm. It just happens to be on demand. Uh, I Yes, they have a um, Uber ATG, I believe. Uh, we'll see what the, the future holds. Mm -hmm. um, so but when you look at the space, yes. who do, is it public transportation or is it just people driving themselves? Who do you consider your competition? If you as CEO are thinking this is, 
or nobody because it doesn't you're creating a, an area that doesn't exist exactly for dense urban environment uh, anybody who already uses uh, mobility as a service meaning uber and lyft definitely should enjoy our service where it's available mm-hmm. that's one and then eventually the time expands because uh, i can tell you that every time i'm going to san francisco there's a one-on-one with myself for a couple of minutes mm-hmm. am i going to drive am i going to Right. as mobility as a service. So I could see how with the, the experience, with uh, uh, the economic model around it, that more people will actually choose when they are in cities to use transportation as a service. If you look at Uber and Lyft, they didn't replace taxes. They re- <laughs> well, they sort of replaced, I mean, there was a replacement effect, but there was also an expansion effect. Mm-hmm. And we think that the same Being thing will more happen. people were, who weren't using taxis and exactly. had other ways of going, their own cars. It was, exactly. all, it was really your own cars, exactly. essentially. So that's um, how we look at it. It certainly makes it easier not to have a car, to have those services available. Yes, um, even though the prices are going up a lot. Um, so talk about that, that pricing is. So they would play for per ride, right? There's four people in there and you could either mm-hmm. get them by yourself, which mm-hmm. you pay more, mm-hmm. or you share, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Yeah, you'd, you'd really think about it similarly to how Uber Pool and Lyft Line work. Yeah. So we wouldn't force people to carpool. If you want to have your own ride, that's no problem. If you want to pay, pay a little bit more, if you want to pay a little bit less, you may get put in a vehicle with uh, some other passengers. Um, and we really think pooling is a triple win because if you can get people to carpool, the individual passengers are paying less. Uh, as a company, if we can put several people in a vehicle, we can make more revenue, even if the individuals are paying less. And then for the city, it's a major win because you have less congestion. One of the worst things about driving is you have so many cars with only one person in them. Right? Mm-hmm. And if you can get two or three or four people in a vehicle, you can really reduce the number of vehicles on the road at the same time, which is a really good thing for cities and for the environment and for people's time. And also, there are issues, though, of safety because now there's a lot of rumors that Uber and Lyft are going to stop doing pool because it's not as as efficient for them. But you feel this is the way to go with these cars. Well, we've actually gone out of our way to design our vehicle with pooling in mind. And I think that's, again, one of the things, you know, cars were not designed for Uber to have three passengers or four passengers, and that's not what cars were designed for originally. So if you imagine trying to put three people in the backseat of an Uber, it's just, you know, it's it's kind of, it's a hack, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, well, there are climbing technically three seats, other. but you're, yeah. you're, you know, getting in and out and climbing on top of each other right. and you're touching people and it's really right. just cramped and not yeah. very pleasant. So we've designed a vehicle that can fit four passengers very comfortably and mm-hmm. it's much, much less feeling like, oh my God, somebody's right next to me. There's also a camera recording everything to make sure that everything's safe. There's an emergency stop button on both sides of the vehicle. So we've really thought deeply about the product experience and we've really tried to make sure that it's as safe as possible for people who want to use that option. And back to, again, architecting and designing with that concept in mind, right? So um, not only do you, ha- do you have the individual space for each and control for each of the four passengers, right. but so even the have- sliding doors and stepping right. in and sitting down without really disturbing the other occupants. Right. And so if you want to be communal, that's available. But if you want to just be in your own space, we feel that we've architected and designed right. for you don't that. Want to do, you don't want to put like uh, screens between the seats. You, no. you aren't doing that right now. No. But you could, you could, and, and they're also they're also designed largely for an urban environment. That's exactly right. For an ur- urban, talk a little bit about moving beyond the urban environment. You know, I, I, as you know, I write about this a lot, and mm-hmm. I, the the reaction I get when I say I'm not going to own a car is every single person from the Midwest discusses their truck with me, which I'm great. I'm glad they have them. But do you see this as something else, or is this an urban? mobility solution? To start, it's an urban mobility solution. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it makes business sense because you know the demand exists today. So you Mm -hmm. can essentially enjoy that. Uh, But frankly, this vehicle is designed to drive everywhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, What limits... What does it go to? You're just telling me. I couldn't believe it. 75 miles an hour. Wow. 
Yes, and so I'm what's not sure I would get in it at 75 without a steering wheel. Well, but you get, you know, in stages, right? Okay. You talk about the future of this vehicle. Right. So you start with, you know, human beings are very good when there's disruption and innovation. They get mm -hmm. used to things and then, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. 20, 30 years ago, if you had told me about the concept of an app, I don't know that I would have even understood right, yeah. what you meant. Right. And so uh, eventually we can essentially drive um, highways, we can uh, go to the suburbs, you can go to airports, you can do many different things, that's mm -hmm. one, and link areas together. And then obviously if you can move people, uh, you can also move other things. Right, you can move like whatever you want yeah. to move. Fundamentally, this company really is uh, using robotics, is using uh, artificial intelligence and the integration of all of those uh, different disciplines to transport people and things. Right. So talk a little bit about the, the challenges from a, from a technical point of view. What, what, do you, what has been the biggest problem with this? I do think people will get used to these things. I do. I agree with you, Aisha, that people will they'll be so comfortable in them, they won't even think about it. You know, I think about my mom using an iPhone or getting in an Uber. Initially, it was like, what? And then it was very mm -hmm. easy to use. Mm -hmm. um, talk about the actual tech. What are the big problems now that each of the car companies, are the, the transportation or car companies are facing? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, the, the hardest thing to do is to build an artificial intelligence system that's safer uh, at driving than, than humans. And mm -hmm. and it's not just doing that on a racetrack. It's doing that in the wild with mm -hmm. all kinds of unpredictable things happening right. all the time. I mean, even on our drive this afternoon, we saw all kinds of, you know, interesting and difficult scenarios. Yeah. A biker that uh, got in the way a little bit. Yeah, we had a biker going quickly. the wrong way down down our side. And, and someone and, jumping and, out to take a yeah, picture. Yeah, there was a couple of doubly parked vehicles. And we were able to handle that. You know, the entire drive had no, no interventions because the AI has learned how to handle all those situations. And really it's an incremental effort. It's not that there's one brilliant idea that solves the problem. It's really about making it better and better. And so what we do is every two weeks, we release a major new version of our software to our fleet. In fact, one just came out this morning, so you're on the latest build. <laughs> and we measure everything about it. And we can get pretty much better every single two weeks. And we also measure human driving. So we've had humans drive a lot of those same really challenging routes. And we measure when humans make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And what's pretty exciting is... Um, a few months ago, we got to the point where our AI system is making fewer mistakes than people do mm -hmm. on those routes. And that's mm -hmm. a really big milestone for the company. But, you know, humans are kind of constant. They're not really getting better at driving. In fact, no. some people think they're getting worse because they're texting more and yeah. distracting by the phone. Yeah. But in our case, every two weeks, it just gets better and better. And so it's not that there's one fundamental challenge. It's just about making the system better and recognizing more situations and handling more stuff. And really just, you know, two, every two weeks, it's just fewer errors, fewer errors, more safety, more comfort, and smoother driving. And I think it's important when, you, when we talk about the driving, there's the mechanical driving itself, which you, you experienced. Um, humans are not getting better. I tell Jesse all the time, yeah. they get worse over time. However, they are very good at recovering from errors mm -hmm. and avoiding other people's, the yeah, impact of Coming other, into spaces, exactly. solving quickly. And all of that together and then getting that onto market is really uh, the last mile mm -hmm. or however you want to characterize Being it. Anticipatory. I think humans are anticipatory. They mm -hmm. see something coming. Mm -hmm. They can visually see. And in your case, one of the things I always say is cars. Everyone was like, "Oh, I, I always get st people sometimes recognize me. What do you think about?" It? They always ask about autonomous vehicles. It's really interesting. And one of the things I always say, I was on the plane the other day, and someone was like, "What do you think the problem?" I said, "I guess hacking. I suppose could be a problem eventually, but it, it's a hacking. The hacking's a problem there." But and they were like, "What about accidents?" I go, "You know, they'll humans when they make an error." and get in an accident, 
they don't really learn. They might learn. You may not do that again, but you still might not learn, right? You might do it twice or three times, but, but you have a little bit of a knowledge of it. When a car gets in an accident, all the cars, millions of cars learn. Like you could teach all the other cars. That's and exactly so it's right. kind of an interesting problem. And other humans definitely don't learn when you get in an accident, nope. which is interesting. Um, do you imagine, Aisha, that people are going to give up driving cars? I, again, I, I have this bigger, I have this ongoing argument with truck owners from the Midwest about this. So talk about this. I say they're going to. I say, probably, inevitably. they will eventually. Mm-hmm. It'll take a long yeah. while. So we'll probably... Well, compared to owning a horse, you're like, you can have your horse. That's exactly I don't want right. a horse. Most that's people don't ex- want a horse. That's a, that's a great analogy. Yeah. So I think that um, what you'll see is just a continuous decrease. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way to, and then of course the technology also has to be available, has to be ubiquitous. Uh, We always talk about iPhones. Mm -hmm. There there was the beginning when there were a few only on the AT&T network and now Mm -hmm. it's a global phenomenon. So we'll see the same type of um, uh, ramp. But I would say that I don't know the time frame, not in my lifetime, but you will definitely see, for example, cities where people will not own a car at all. Right. Now, As you expand to suburbs, uh, you'll see, I'm, I'm assuming it, uh, it will take more time. But eventually, yeah, I mean, cars, it, it's really about transportation. And mm-hmm. you're talking to somebody who enjoys driving too, mm-hmm. by the way. You do? So, yeah, not trucks. But, Why? Uh, Why do you enjoy driving? Uh, I don't know. It's like the 10th um, ring of hell for me. <laughs> well, not a let's good put it driver. this way. From time to time. Right. How's that? Right, yeah. Yes. I guess if you're driving down like a California highway, the top's you down, that's fine. Go. I guess that'll so. but work. You can, I'd be happy to do it in an autonomous car. It would be just as enjoyable. So again, I want to get back to the technical challenge. What do you, where do you think the timeline is? Because, you know, mm. again, we a lot of, you know, again, Elon's been, the, he's been promising, like it's going to be perfect in this long. It's going to be, and so if some of the big car, like this is going to happen, there's a lot of people that are, uh, they're very optimistic. Mm-hmm. What do you, if you wanted to be the pessimist, what would you say, Jesse? Well, I think we've actually been fairly consistent and realistic. When we started Zoox in 2014, we actually said it would be somewhere between 2020 and 2021 mm-hmm. before our vehicles went on public roads. Right. And we're actually still on that timeline. It, it's not going to be 2020. Although, again, you you got to ride in the vehicle, so mm-hmm. it's real, it drives. Um, we're going to be putting it on public roads. Uh, our goal is to get it on public roads by the end of this 2021. New car, the this new car, the new car, the one that you just the experienced. We want to get that vehicle. We need to work on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we want that on public roads by the end of 2021, which is still consistent with what we were saying in 2014. Um, but again, obviously, the, the gating factor is going to be going to be the safety. I think we have tried to give ourselves every possible advantage. Mm-hmm. And you asked, you know, how do we compare to some of our competitors. I think the the biggest difference is that since 2014, every single day we've come to work with the same approach in mind, the ground up approach. And because we've had almost six years now to work on that and not been distracted by any other ideas, we think we've been able to make more progress than other companies who have tried two or three or four different yeah, ideas along up. the way. They did, and then mm-hmm. they changed something. I don't even know what they're doing. Like they're, They change it all the time. Yeah, yeah, they've had, I don't know, four or five different ideas along the way. And to some extent, they can afford to do that because if you're funded by Alphabet, uh, which, as you said, literally, almost literally prints money, you can try lots of ideas and, and that's totally fine. As a startup, we don't really have that luxury. And so if our original idea in 2014 was fundamentally wrong, you probably wouldn't be here by now. And we certainly wouldn't be around in five years. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, it turns out that we, the more we do this, the more convinced we are that this is a good idea. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the only good idea, but we do think it's a good idea. And seeing other companies start to talk more and more about how they want to do something similar is really encouraging because we do think we have a multi-year head start 
over anybody else at actually building and deploying ground up autonomous vehicles in cities. So Isha, when you're talking about, you're talking about fundraising and you, obviously you're not going to give me details, but you can, I'm happy if you would. <laughs> but obviously you're going to try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you need a big strategic investor. I, I, I can guess who you should talk to. I'm trying to think of a company that has fleets of vehicles, is really good on deliveries, really good on thing. I'm thinking of Amazon has not entered this picture. Um, they haven't? Okay. No, they haven't. Apple has sort of, and then came out and didn't, it should, and has more money, you know, than God. They're very, they have a lot of cash. Um, does it have to, and then there's the car companies, you know, Mercedes has sort of dipped in and they haven't dipped in. I don't think I would affiliate with a car company because then they'd tell you how to design everything. That would be my problem with them, right? It's sort of, that, that would be my problem with them. Um, I don't know if you would have the same problem. So what are you thinking about when you think about partnerships? We think about the long term. We right. do not want to be in these partnerships that uh, get formed and dissolved every six yes. months or every year. Because, yeah. again, consistency is really key. Right. Uh, I remember, but you have to be with a car company. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, eventually. Because uh, they would make be, them. That could be helpful. Because they're good at making cars. Exactly. But the more important thing is we have to be aligned philosophically. Mm -hmm. Like the ground up approach, the robo taxi market, uh, dense urban environment, focus uh, because it's easy to start with that and already say, oh, I'm going to move food, I'm going to move people, I'm going to move uh, packages, I'm going to move a bunch of things. So focus and then a measured go-to-market approach. So that's really what we look at. Long-term partners, patience, and being able to really be aligned and move along the way. Okay. We're here with Aisha Evans, the CEO of Zooks, and Jesse Levinson, the CTO and co-founder. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this. We're here at Zook's headquarters in Foster City, California, where I just uh, saw their uh, their prototype vehicle, uh, which has no name. It's adorable. And I, I rode in it for a very short time in their parking lot. Um, it's pretty cool. And we're talking with Aisha Evans, the CEO of Zook's, and Jesse Levinson, the CTO and co-founder. Um, I want to finish up talking about how hard it is to be a startup, like when you're in this space. This is a space of big you know, the, the car companies did start off small, obviously, and there were thousands of them. And then there were three. Talk a little bit about that challenge. And obviously you started your company. I have to ask the question with another co-founder. He's gone. Startups are very difficult. I know you don't want to talk about the what happened. You can if you like. I'd love to hear what happened. But talk about the difficulties of doing startups. Yeah, I think startups are hard in general. I mean, you start with literally nothing, and then you have to build something. And I think Zooks in particular uh, is challenging because we set out in 2014 to build a new type of transportation. And when you start a company that isn't going to have a product for six or seven years, uh, and it's going to require you know north of a thousand people and probably north of a billion dollars before it has a product deployed in the market, that's just not done very often. It's an unusual thing to do. And so you take all the challenges that startups normally have and then and then you can sort of multiply them by all those extra uh, difficulties, but also opportunities. And we've been really fortunate because we, we've had a clear and consistent vision that really resonates with people. And so as we've been growing the company, we're, we're over a thousand people now, we've been able to attract people who are just so excited by the opportunity to do something important for the world. And, and people have been willing to defer, you know, some of the, for example, cash compensation they could make at Facebook or Apple or Google or Microsoft mm -hmm. or Amazon and say, hey, this is, this is important. I want to dedicate a, a chunk of my life to doing that. And so despite that it's a really hard thing to do and people have to have some amount of patience, uh, we've been able to build one of the best teams in the world. And so we get to come to work every day and, and work with them. And it's just incredibly inspiring. 
Well, it's talk hard, about that, Aisha, it's, it's, because first of all, you're a woman CEO, which is unusual, you're a person of color. You're, you are literally, it's fantastic, but you have many choices and you're technical and everything else. So talk about why, what, what's the what's the plus in doing something that's really hard? This is, I, I always love hard companies versus, I was joking with Jesse, a dating service, like I could care less about these companies. But, you know, I like the, you know, the reason funny. I like- I literally told the recruiter, don't call me for a dating, for CEO <laughs> dating. of a dating company. Sorry, no, I'm yeah. laughing. You know, it's important while we're on this earth to do impactful things. Mm-hmm. This is a worthy thing to go after, mm-hmm. uh, not to get too uh, mushy. I mean, it's going to trans- it's, it's transform how we live life, mm-hmm. uh, economies, access, and so on. So, uh, look, this place is mission-driven. Mm-hmm. You talk to anybody in here, even uh, the, the cleaning crew, mm-hmm. we are not confused about what we're doing. We're excited. It's impactful. And I'd like to give a little bit of a counter perspective. Startups are nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to fight every day. You have to execute. Um, there aren't a lot of discussions and meetings and uh, different. I mean, we have one product at mm-hmm. Zooks. Everybody works on that one product. Mm-hmm. So I think there's an element of that. But then when you add the ground up approach, where really we can, from an architectural uh, and design standpoint, we can make decisions very quickly. Mm-hmm. We get people in a room. And yes, sometimes it's got, it has to be 30 or 40 people in a room. Mm-hmm. We discuss, we draw on the board and off we go. Mm-hmm. We don't have to negotiate. We don't have to have discussions. This expert said this, that expert said that, this company wants this, that, uh uh-uh. You just move. So Mm -hmm. frankly, it's been invigorating. We meet new employees um, every Monday at 11.30. And uh, today, actually, yesterday or today, I can't remember, is my first year anniversary. And I tell them that I wake up every morning in a hurry to get here. Mm -hmm. And I haven't had a moment of regret. And it is a choice to be here. Again, you are an unusual woman CEO of a company. There's... I. Are there any in Silicon Valley now? Let me think. I don't know. There Um, aren't. There is... um, Lisa Sue. Yes, AMD. AMD, And she's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there aren't many. But, you know, it's weird. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I don't think I'm a woman or I'm of color or I'm Aisha Evans. I got to get, say, hug the kids, Mm -hmm. uh, say bye to hubby and get in the car and get to work. So you don't feel any extra pressure? No, no. Well, I feel pressure like, I mean, even if I was a man, yeah, of yeah. course, failure and not they succeeding. They feel less is, pressure. They do? They really? do. Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll take that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll I think take everything that. they do is great, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I want to succeed. Yeah. And, I, and when I fail, I want to learn along the way. Uh-huh. Uh, I feel the responsibility of making this happen. No question about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really think about it in terms of, oh, I'm a woman. Plenty of people remind me, though. Yes, I know, but it's, no, but you have to On a continuous basis. It. Yeah, but it's interesting because there is... It, the, the fact that I, I still am trying to figure out why beyond pipeline, beyond everything and why it persists, why the, it, 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 you do need to see more people and you wonder why the lack of diversity. And I'm not just talking about uh, color or, or gender. It's all kinds of diversity. And so really, it seems like strength happens that way. I think inclusion, camaraderie, right. uh, perseverance. There were many people along the way from mm-hmm. uh, birth mm-hmm. to, uh, to now who uh, encouraged me, who are sponsors, mm-hmm. who, are, who are mentors, by the way, who also sat me down and said, let's talk, there's mm-hmm. an issue here. And um, surrounding yourself with the right people too and being in the right environment. Right. I mean, in, in making a decision to, uh, to join a startup, that was important to me. Right. I mean, the type of founder, the type of person, well, the type of value system. But to me, inclusion is key. Because once people see success, we will have more and absolutely. more and more people come that's through. What I'm, that's why it's yes. important. I suspect you're 
your mother being a computer scientist had a much bigger effect on you? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, and I never, you know, I think because when I was a kid and, and she was the computer scientist in the family, so I didn't, to me, of course, it wasn't unusual. I just, mm-hmm. she was my mom mm-hmm. and she would teach me how to use computers and play with them. And, and she actually taught computer classes. This was in the late 80s. So mm-hmm. most people didn't have a computer at home. And she started teaching computer classes to local families and they'd have, take a parent and a kid and they'd, they'd come in and and she would teach them how to use computers, how to play computer games. And I would always want to go with her and help her. And she's like, well, you can come with me, but you have to help me teach. And I was like six years old. Mm-hmm. And and I was, uh, I was good at using computers because she would teach me every day. And so I'd go mm-hmm. in with her and at first... I would I would sort of show off. I'd be like, oh, I know how to do this. And I would literally take the keyboard and the mouse from somebody mm-hmm. and do it myself. And she's like, no, Jesse, like that's not how you teach people things. You actually have to explain it to them and, and let them do it themselves. And I was like, okay. So uh, it took me a few but weeks. I can do it faster. Yeah. No, but it took me, it was an amazing lesson, especially as a six-year-old. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people never learn that lesson. And I was really lucky that my mom was such a good <laughs> teacher. Mm-hmm. And and I got used to the concept of actually explaining things to people and and understanding the difference between being able to do something myself and helping mm-hmm. other people do that thing. And so I was really lucky to have her as a mentor and as a mom. Mm-hmm. And I should probably add, uh, because parents are important, my dad is a telecommunication engineer. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was normal to right. have a telecommunication engineer as right. a dad. So it wasn't like some huge barrier or, and I wasn't really given options. So right. As a matter of fact, as a, as a child or as a teenager, I liked philosophy a lot, especially the, the philosophers that are mathematicians. Uh-huh. I love them. There's so many. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a reason. Yeah. And, but when it came to making the choice in France, at some point you totally have to bifurcate. Mm-hmm. It was pretty clear what choice I was bifurcate. going to make. Because oh, you have to go to the tech, the polytechnic. Exactly. Did you go there? Did you? No, no, I went to Jean-Sain de Sailly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, um, how did you get here in this country? What, did, what was the journey? <laughs> uh, came here to uh, study uh, computer science and gain some a little bit of distance and freedom from my dad. Uh-huh. Uh, by the time I was 18, he was not too happy with the result. <laughs> Independent, strong woman. And literally met my husband within months of arriving. And so ended up uh, finishing school, getting married and staying. staying. Um, I want to finish up talking about the tech lash because there's so many companies in Silicon Valley now exemplified by the Facebooks of the world and the problem companies. One of the things I'm doing this year is spending a lot of time talking about solutions companies and companies that are much more, just like I said, not a dating service. Not, you know, one of the things I always say is um, Silicon Valley is a lot of smart people working, very uh, incredibly smart people working on stupid things um, or not things worthy of their, mm-hmm. uh, of, of the world. And, you know, one of, one of the issues I talk about a lot is climate change tech, mm-hmm. the concept that there's bigger things to work on and more yes. worthy things to work on. You've been, both been in Silicon Valley for a while. What do you think has happened here? Why don't you start, Jesse, here in Silicon Valley? Because I think Silicon Valley has a terrible reputation now. They're calling for regulation. This obviously is not going to affect you all because you're not making the things they're making. But, you know, the damage that tech does to society. Well, I think all technology comes with pros and cons. I think it's hard to find any technology that hasn't had some some negative sure. impact on society. And, so does a knife, but yeah. Yeah, and, and so I think there's a responsibility here. And I do think that there are some examples where technology kind of got ahead of itself and people who invented it probably had generally good intentions and didn't realize, right? So I don't think people realize when, mm-hmm. for example, smartphones, people didn't realize, oh my God, it literally you can get addicted to your phone. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, two-year-olds and three-year-olds are getting addicted to phones. And mm-hmm. nobody knew 10 years ago that it was actually a really bad idea for, for toddlers to be playing with 
with phones and iPads two hours or three hours a day. Oof. Now it turns out it's probably a really, really bad idea. And so I think there's a responsibility to really seriously look at what are the impacts and you know even second order effects of the technology we're building. I don't think that's a reason not to build technology, but I absolutely think it's more important than people realized, both as the creators of technology, but also as society, right? I mean, there's a role of government here. There's a role of public discourse. And I think we all need to work together to be more mindful of what, what does it mean when, when you deploy a technology, not just like, oh my God, I got this many users and you know that's awesome and I got this many clicks, but what does that do to people and what are the second and third order effects? I don't have a magical mm -hmm. solution, but it's definitely something people need to be more serious about. So I talk to a lot of students all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm actually very hopeful. Mm -hmm. uh, with AI uh, and robotics, I think we may be entering a really nice phase again mm -hmm. because those technologies are really going to affect all industries and really all phases of life. And, and you, you start with climate change and some of the things that we're looking at. I think people are starting to pause and say, what's really important? What's worthy? And given that those two tools give an opportunity to also bring new solutions, mm -hmm. I'm hoping that uh, we may have a nice wave again. Why? Why? To, in what way? That people are more thoughtful about the things they create? Yeah. And you talk to students and they talk about health and yeah. they talk about medicine and they yeah. talk about climate change mm -hmm. and uh, they talk about um, cities and uh, housing problems and all a uh, traffic problem y you hear them really talk about big problems mm -hmm. and being hopeful about them because ai and robotics can help Mm -hmm. One of the things I've noticed a lot more of, and I'm encouraged by this, is you know we interview a lot of people because mm -hmm. we've hired over a thousand, mm -hmm. and I you know I like to ask people like why are you excited about Zooks? And it's really encouraging because almost nobody is here because they want to get rich. That's mm -hmm. not that's not the motivating factor for people. It's some people it's the environment, some people it's the product experience, some people it's safety, some people just love the technology, and many people love multiple things. And it's so rare now that I find somebody who just seems motivated by making money. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I had one person actually, <laughs> I interviewed somebody a year ago and I was like, hey, you know, what makes you excited about Zooks? He's like, well, you know, he, he said a couple of things. He's like, but but to be honest, I just feel like your valuation's going up and I'd be stupid <laughs> not to get on that rocket. And no. I was like, well, that's not going to happen. Right. You know, that's not, not so that is not yeah. why we're hiring people. Uh -huh. And it's not that there's anything wrong with making money. And, did and you hire that person? No, okay. we did not. Uh -huh. um, and, and, and he was, you know, nothing wrong with him. he was a high performer? Still though, no, but no. seriously, like, the, 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 no, no, no. look, it's, it's not that there's it's anything wrong with, with making money, um, but what we're doing is hard and important and we want people who are excited by that. And I, and we're not the only company doing hard and important things. And it's, as I said, I've been really encouraged by how many people now, when they go through school and think about what they want to do with their career, are realizing that, yes, you have to support yourself and your family, but we're fortunate now in our society to have so many ways to do that. And mm -hmm. I think people are starting to gravitate more towards ways that are impactful and, and positive. And, you know, we're not all the way there yet, but I think, I think there's a really encouraging trend. And we have to teach people money is not a goal. Mm -hmm. Money is an outcome. Right. And by the way, you do the right things, by and large, especially if you're interviewing at Zooks mm -hmm. in, um, uh, on something that's pretty much advanced technology. Mm -hmm. All right, last question. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about coronavirus because we're here right mm -hmm. in the middle. There's all kinds of people are freaking out. The stock market is going crazy. You have a global company and all the companies that are coming forward now have, uh, you know, Facebook has issues because people can gather for events, but certainly everything's in the cloud, essentially, a lot of companies. But companies like yours, like Apple, like others, have analog and digital interactions. And obviously, analog is critically important to your business because uh, you're making a thing mm -hmm. that drives on a road that's real. Um, 
how do you think about that as a manager? What, what you know, when you have something like a coronavirus crisis, which will pass mm-hmm. as as these things tend to do, but. So, well, I mean, first of all, there's just the policy type stuff, making right. sure that uh, we looked at travel and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Uh, the second element is around the supply chain. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, we've been able to uh, find mitigation and different types of solutions. Teams have been very creative. And it's been something that we're monitoring and managing, but it hasn't been a showstopper at all. Not yet. Are you worried no. about that? I certainly watch the news and make sure, but... To be fair, and I, I hope it doesn't come off wrongly, because uh, in terms of human beings and the health of people, yes, I worry about it. But in terms of uh, uh, the supply chain and what we're having to do right now, it's not even on the night of Do you think Silicon Valley needs to worry about that? Because the, there's a lot of hardware made here. Yeah, I think that every company uh, that is using a global uh, supply chain has to look at that and have mitigation and uh, replacement and so on. That's just good governance. Okay. We did have a couple parts that were one or two weeks delayed, yeah, and you know but, we we worked around that. So yeah. hopefully things get contained and it it passes. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously it's all it's contained according to the Trump administration. Just saying. <laughs> Larry Kudlow. We'll, we'll see. Oh my God, Doctor Larry Kudlow. I'm sorry, I'm not going to go on about it. Um, in Fo- any focus, Kara. Focus. I'll try to focus. I just get so angry when they say stupid things. Yeah. Last question: When are these things going to be deployed? When are you going to show off this vehicle that I was in today? Can you say? We will definitely show it off uh, this year. This year, okay. Yeah, so we're quite excited about that. On the roads? On private roads. On private roads. Yes. Like a university and, or? Uh, you'll have to see. You'll have to see. Yes. Okay. Campuses. I can see it all kinds of places. You'll Corporate. have to see. So, and then Jesse mentioned earlier, uh, we are look, we've always said that uh, end of 2021 is ho- uh, when we hope to uh, start having it on public roads. Public start, roads. Uh, transporting passengers. And, and would you like to tell me how much money you're raising? Twenty billion dollars. I think no, no. Twenty. 20. I, the answer is no to that. Not to billion. And no. the answer is uh, no. I don't want to really tell you how. Okay. Much all right. Raising, okay. Good. But it's right. definitely not the number. But you the said. capital markets are pretty good right now. Maybe not this week, but mm-hmm. in general, it's going well. Good. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been a delight, I have to say. I don't usually have a delight. I'm usually yelling at people. Um, and it's nice to see things that are inventive and oh. and, and world-changing. I do think uh, transportation of all the many things, there's so many areas to make better, but transportation, I think, will go a long way mm-hmm. towards the food and transportation and um, and things like that are critically important. We bring our best minds to bear on these things. Anyway, thank you so much, Aisha and Jesse, for coming on the show. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Erica Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Aisha, where can people find you online and Jesse? <laughs> Jesse's going to have to answer for himself. Uh, uh, Aisha 2 Evans uh, is my Twitter handle. Okay. And for Zooks, it's at Zooks? Zooks. Zooks. Okay. Yes. And uh, I'm weird and I don't have Twitter or LinkedIn. That's fine. So I good for I you. basically don't exist. Okay, good. Good uh, to know. Yeah. How did you name it Zooks? Um, ah. My co-founder named it Zooks, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story. So there's a, a marine organism called Zooks anthala, which marine biologists tend to abbreviate uh, as Zooks. Yeah. And it's really cool. It's a single-celled organism. It's a phytoplankton. Mm-hmm. It gets its energy from the sun, so it does photosynthesis, but it also has a little tail and it swims mm-hmm. through the environment. So it's basically a little thing that can move through the environment and is powered by renewables, okay. which is what we're building. Very complex. Also, I'm not even done yet. Okay, all <laughs> right. That's part two. All right. Uh, it also forms a symbiotic relation with the coral reefs and help terraform our planet and create a lot of the oxygen we breathe. And we want this is our, your co-founder. Yes, You're lucky I didn't ask you about the specifics, and, but and go we, ahead. And we want our vehicle to have a symbiotic relationship with people. So with he, people, he okay. So he came up with that and we really like it. 
All right, Zooks, that's what it is. All right, and you can, you can find it at Zooks. Um, anyway, make sure uh, you check out our other podcasts, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search them in your podcasting app of choice or tap on the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Robbie. Special thanks to the whole team at Zooks for hosting us today. They've been really terrific. Thank you for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday. Tune in then. 